from Walt Disney Pictures. Cool Runnings, the number one comedy in America, is number one with critics. Joel Siegel raves, this is Rocky on Ice. It goes for the gold and gets it. Cool Runnings is an action-packed comedic gem and terrifically exhilarating. I can't get my helmet on. Don't miss the gotta love it movie of the season. It's five stars and a howlingly funny 10. For Cool Runnings, rated PG. Finally, we're going to discuss the true origin story of Reconcinimation. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up here today. And hmm, today is a very interesting one. We, you know, we covered romance. We did a little sports romance this month. And now we're going to hit that Olympic fever because we're going to look at the 1993 classic Cool Runnings. Hey. All right. We f we're finally getting to it. I know it's been on our list for a long Oh, wait. Maybe we just threw it on. But hey, <laughs> let's do it. Just, it. <laughs> maybe we're it doing, just popped on there. Well, we definitely we have we had a lot of choices out there, but we decided to keep it light, I guess. Uh <laughs> so many to choose from. But yeah, we uh we went we went on the lighter fare this time. So we're looking at cool running. So let's uh let's before oh wait, before we get to it, David, I think it's your turn. Let's do our six degrees of reconcinimation. Cool. So yeah, let's connect some uh, our current movie Cool Runnings to something else using the the old Kevin Bacon kind of uh, barometer uh, to get close. So can you guys connect for me a movie also released in 1993? Cool Runnings to Robin Hood Men in Tights. Probably pretty easy, but mm, that's that's one of my that's one of my 93 faves that doesn't feature dinosaurs. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or so heights. there's so many. There's like <laughs> there's 40 so movies that have dinosaurs in '93. <laughs> big dinosaur, big big dinosaur year. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay, cool. So we'll come back by the end of the episode, and Brent and I will both find a path from Cool Runnings to Robin Hood Men in Tights in as few moves as possible. Good luck. All right, Brent. Yeah, Brent. thanks. <laughs> yeah. Gonna need it. Uh, I've never seen Men in Tights. Oh, you should. So, it's delightful. Uh, I might have to research who's even in it. It's Carrie Always is in that, right? Carrie mm -hmm. Always is Robin Hood. Okay, that's what I thought. I, yeah. Okay. Got Let's it. Start with that. There's a bevy of stars in that one. You'll see. Yeah, it was kind of a. All right. Never mind. We'll get it. We'll get there. You got we'll this, there. Brent. You got it. I'm feeling a little nervous about it, but I think I can figure it out. <laughs> there are consequences uh, if you can't. I think, I, you know what? I think I've already got it, but I'm going to hold on to that thought till the end of the episode. So they're making me feel like not, I'm not necessary. You'll, oh, you'll you get it. You, it's going to come to you and you're going to be like, oh, that was easy. I hope. Um, okay. So Brent, give us a, give us a rundown. What's happening in cool runnings. Sure. 
Cool Runnings, uh, the 1993 sports comedy masterpiece directed by John Turtletaub and penned by the dynamic duo of Lynn Seifert and Tommy Swerdlow, is a cinematic roller coaster of laughs and triumphs. Picture this, guys. A bunch of Jamaican sprinters, disqualified from the Summer Olympics, decide to take on the Winter Olympics with a bobsled team. Led by the determined coach, Irv Blitzer, played by the legendary John Candy, this unlikely crew faces more frosty challenges than a snowman in a sauna. From mastering the art of bobsledding in the tropics to enduring icy stares from skeptical competitors, our Jamaican heroes bring the heat to the chilly world of the Winter Olympics. It's a hilarious and heartwarming tale of friendship, determination, and the sheer audacity of dreaming beyond palm trees and beaches. Okay, David, bring us back in time. Let's rewind to October 1993. What's happening in the world? Oh, wow. October 1st, 1993. What a time. Uh, we're, at, we're in the newly christened magical Bill Clinton era uh, presidency uh, this year in the U.S. And uh, Mariah is in the middle of her reign at number one on the Billboard charts with uh, Dream Lover. Uh, she spent, I think, seven or eight weeks there uh, with Meatloaf ready to take over next month uh, with I Do Anything for Love. Um, CD sales were continuing to surge with these popular uh, tunes hitting the airwaves uh, as tape sales continue, cassette tapes continue to decline. Um, huge television debuts uh, forever altering the pop culture landscape occurred um, already Ju just as people are walking to the theater to see cool runnings on opening day they would have already witnessed the first episodes of the x-files bill nye the science guy the ricky lake show boy meets world walker texas ranger and the mighty Morphin oh, power rangers and that ricky lake show sure had legs it sure did. I I was a big fan of Rick, the Ricky Lake show that, <laughs> back then. Uh, and I, I watched for years. Uh, the MLB had playoff fever that would ultimately lead to, ultimately lead to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays taking on the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and uh, the Blue Jays won. So sorry, Phils. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dazed and Confused continue its indie run in theaters, uh, which we've also covered on the show. And you could also have seen Elijah Wood and Mac in The Good Son, uh, Macaulay Culkin. But, you know, we were all calling him Mac back then. And, uh, and but of course, you could also see the James Conn, Holly Berry, Omar Epps, Christy Swanson romp the program um, from Walt Disney Pictures. Would you uh, call that a romp? I think it's a romp. I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a pretty it's a romp. heavy. It's a pretty heavy drama, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. So yeah, that's that's kind of what was going on, just sort of in a pop culturally uh, relevant way. As far as the globe, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure some. That, that's good. You're good. Terrible things were happening in '93. In '93, there was nothing happening outside the United States. So. <laughs> especially no, time outside. froze. It was. Only only things happened within the the United States borders. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. What a time to be alive! My God, that music, those uh, CDs coming in, Walker Texas Ranger being gifted to the world. Hmm. Mm. It might be God's greatest gift to human humankind. <laughs> I think it it absolutely adds to the legend of Chuck Norris. Well, I don't. Sure. I don't think we would have the Chuck Norris jokes today if Walker Texas Ranger didn't exist. Yeah, I, I so. highly recommend Walker for anyone who has not 
watched it, and I'm not talking about the new Walker. I was going to say, what about the new Walker? Forget that. That, That's not Papadopoulos or whatever that actor's name is. (laughs) Yeah. Jared Padalecki? Uh, Yep, that's the one. Padalecki. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, Go back to the original Walker, because there, every episode just has a, um, there's so much wonder, so many wonderful things that happen that is pure joy and hilarious action and (laughs) music cues and Chuck just being Chuck. Uh, It's and great dialogue. Really, it's a gem. Highly recommend if you're looking for a great time. Does he have any scenes with Christy Brinkley working on that, working out on that slide table thing that they used to sell <laughs> late at night? Do you remember that? I, that I feel called? like I feel like that got worked in somewhere, somewhere along the, the way. I'm pretty sure that was the beginning of Pilates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Chuck leads the way, always. Um, all right, so cool runnings. Uh, when was the first time you guys saw this, Brent? Let's start with you. I have no idea. Uh, it was not in the theater. It was certainly on VHS, maybe DVD. Um, likely when I was working for Video Impact, the old video store in Sugarland, Texas, and um. Yeah, I just remember it being like kind of coming out of nowhere. I mean, of course, in 93, I was not really it was not in my wheelhouse to be like super jazzed about like family movies, you know, as a young teen, angsty, grunge rocker, Metallica listener, you know, like kind of in between uh, banging my head and wearing plaid. And so I uh, I probably would have scoffed at this at first, but then it, it kind of was a thing when it came out and you know john candy being john candy and him always being kind of great i think i eventually came around when i worked at the video store and i and i watched it and i remember actually enjoying it quite a bit like thinking it was really funny and uh you know heartwarming and and um i was surprised by it but i think that's probably the only time i saw it until uh re-watching it um uh, just this week for the podcast. Yeah, that's, I, I hear you there. I have very similar recollections of it, but David, what about you? First time watch or had you seen this one? Uh, no, I avoided this one. Um, I don't like uh, the Olympics. I don't like Jamaicans. Jamaicans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like movies. This was a hat trick. Um, so no, I just avoided this one. Um, didn't really appeal to me at all like you know i don't know it just wasn't something i was gonna line up for and then uh once it once it hit video there that was that was it that was gonna stay in the dustbin for me so uh this was a treat to to see to see a new john candy movie so that's uh that was my big that was my big draw to watch it this time aside from the the it's mandatory for to do the show of course but uh, no, has <laughs> contractually <laughs> obligated yeah it's in the yeah. bylaws <laughs> Yeah, I think all three of us have pretty much the same kind of experience with this movie that remember it coming out, but we're all at an age where this was not a movie that was going to be in our our sort of wheelhouse at the moment that we were, you know, teenagers at the time. So the Disney family film was not something that was going to be attractive to us. Uh, Me personally, this was a weird phase where I was really not watching movies at all. I mean, I saw Jurassic Park and I saw a couple other things in the theaters, but 
I was not really loving movies at this time. Very brief moment in time, but it was all sports and, you know, baseball, basketball, wrestling, football, all that. Um, so I didn't, this one really kind of, uh, I was aware of it when I worked at Suncoast, the nice big clamshell uh, box on, on the, on the, uh, on the rack was, you know, a regular seller, but still had really no interest in it. Um, until recently it kind of came up again and, you know, when we, when we were batting around ideas, the, the idea of this one came up and I was like, well, we, you know, we really haven't seen it. So now why, why not get into it now and see how it holds up? And I had some suspicions going in, <laughs> but, but like you mentioned, David, the John Candy side of it is a whole, it's a whole thing with this movie that, you know, we've obviously lost John Candy in, in 94 and there's not that many John Candy films out there that we haven't experienced. So it was kind of cool to see a piece of him that we haven't, you know, haven't seen before. Yeah. And we'll kind of deep dive into, into John Candy here uh, shortly, but um you know, actually where it came up was on our While You Were Sleeping episode, we, which was also directed by John Turtletaub, uh, was I think where this one first started across my brain of other films that he had done that were popular and um, that we hadn't kind of looked at. So, uh, so, that's, so that's where it came from. But um, there's, a, you know, there's a, it's interesting. There's a lot of big fans of this movie. Um, you know, whether it's John Candy fans or or people that had seen it as kids that remember that loving this movie and yeah, I think it's got to be gonna... a nostalgia based thing that uh, yeah, I wonder how many of those people have also rewatched it recently. That's what I was about to say that I I don't know how many it's it doesn't feel like a, a movie that's kind of out there and present again and been you know sought after on a nostalgia level it's just something that you saw as a kid you loved it yeah. and you've never watched it for the most part and watched it again so I would be very curious to see what those people thought of it um, watching it now yeah it's that thing of like oh did did you as an adult, oh, did you love that movie because it's good or because you saw it when you were eight? <laughs> like that's right. That, that's the big major question. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, that holds true. That holds true for a lot of movies, like the original yeah. Star Wars trilogy included. That yeah. you know, if we had seen those original, our generation tends to love the original trilogy more than all the other movies, right? Yeah, but had we better. seen that at a different age or had we seen those movies now for the first time, would we love those as much? I don't know. That's you can't really answer that. Uh, I can. I can. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But there's a ton of movies in that, you know, that that in that category that you like your experience with film in general. And that's part of what we embrace here on the show is your memories of watching a movie for the first time, it's not usually, a lot of times it's not just the movie, it's the memory of the experience. You're with your friends, you're at a certain time in your life, you're with your family, you're with, you know, whatever, an uncle that you lost or something, and that was, you connected over that movie. So sometimes positive memories of films aren't actually about the movie itself, they're about the experience of watching that movie, so. This one 
for us doesn't fall into any of those categories because yeah. it's basically yeah, a first-time sure view. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure I watched it by myself the first time I saw it. Yeah. No lost uncle, but but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I do, I do remember liking it, though, like when I saw it. I, I, I was surprised by it. I thought it was funny. Well, it's on the surface. I mean, there's there's kind of two ways to look at this movie. There's the surface level, which is a fun, lighthearted movie with John Candy, who we all love, and the, with it, the underdog story. So it's hard not to – that formula is so easy to root for your characters. Underneath that, looking at it now, there's a whole kind of other perspective that you know you wouldn't see as a kid and you wouldn't – Certainly, we wouldn't have really acknowledged it back in 1993, but now we can kind of see it for, you know, cultural appropriation and, and a lot of things like really watching it, like so much jumped out at me that was like cringe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, before we kind of dive down that road, though, let's let's kind of go back um, a little bit and look at the development of this movie. It was uh, it was very loosely based on the true story of the 1988 Jamaican Olympic bobsled team. That was, if you start to dig into the real story, I mean, there's some similarities, but there's also a very very different, much darker side to the to the, what happened with that team and why the team was created and and how it all kind of came together. So, um, it was. Uh, you know, they, a lot of fictionalizing going on here. <laughs> were, they, were they even Jamaican? They were. They were Jamaican. Okay. In real that, life, they were actually Jamaican. <laughs> the the um, movie got it half right then. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the, you know, the story, the general idea is, an, is the underdog story, which is, like we said, always very attractive to audiences that, you know, that Rocky kind of, uh, reaching for greatness uh, is is always is always something that audiences are generally attracted to. The original script was called, I think it's pr- pronounced Blue Maga, and mm. it was it started in 1989. It was developed for Jeremiah Chechik, who uh, we know as the director from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The original version was much darker. It was not the Disney film that this grew into. It was uh, a lot more, it it featured a lot more drug use. It featured a lot more um, the the dark side of these characters. And uh, there was more racism. There was more, uh, there was a lot more sex. There was a lot more sexual interactions in the film. So this was far from what we saw. Well, and Disney wasn't even involved with it at the beginning, right? Like, right. I this, mean, they, this they is before came in and, and Disneyfied it, <laughs> and boy, did that <laughs> lost lost all that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole like that version of this movie. I mean, you have to be, you have to obviously would have to be very careful about it, but it would be very interesting to see the true life story and what the you know what these guys this team really went through and grounding in more reality than the fluff Disney version that was presented later on. Yeah. The, the Canadian honky tonk version given to us by Disney. Right. Oh, that's right. 
But this took, I mean, it took years. So it started in 1989, Jeremiah Chachik's involved. Eventually he leaves the project uh, for Benny and June, which is Brent, a movie I I believe you've put on the list. And (laughs) yeah, it keeps getting, I don't know. It keeps getting deleted. I don't know. I've had to add it several times, but uh, it it will be done someday. (laughs) I'll, I'll sneak it in there, John. (laughs) All right, Benny and June coming soon. <laughs> but so he he departs. Uh, they bring in Brian Gibson to uh, to next as director, who continues to work through the script uh, all the way until I believe probably I think it's late ninety one or early ninety two, and then he ends up leaving the project to do what's love got to do with it. So you know they're going through directors here, and this is kind of stretching on, which is always a recipe for kind of disaster. <laughs> oh, see, I thought you were going to say success. <laughs> <laughs> see, uh, see our Halloween six episode. If you want to talk about years on a project and cycling through directors. Oh, by the way, you can listen to that in the archives at reconsidermation.com. The eventually they bring in John Turtletaub. And this is at this point, Disney has stepped in and kind of taken the reins to the project and um, really started to reshape it to more of a family film. How do we make these characters lighter? Let's, you know, get the dark elements, the drugs, the sex, let's kind of get rid of those entirely and, um, you know, make this more of a family uplifting kind of film. So they bring in a director who had just done three ninjas, David, one of your top three films uh i was trying to remember if i've seen three ninjas i've seen surf ninjas i haven't seen three ninjas (laughs) beverly hills ninja that's the one with chris right it is i I rent i I remember i rented that uh after he died and i don't remember a fucking frame of that movie (laughs) (laughs) it's not as fine i remember i remember the box with him doing like the the like the, the split. kick yeah, oh, the yeah, split the kick. Split. yeah 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 that's that's all i remember <laughs> i uh my ninja world stopped at american ninja so that was that was uh it's probably a good time to get out yeah people were they, the 90s were pretty fucked up with ninja craze like the Dude, ninja craze like they love well, ninjas in the 90s like after it the starts ninja Turtles, in the 80s like, but gets all silly in the 90s yeah it's like let's get like everything's ninja like it, and then like when the internet happened it was like it was ninjas and zombies i think were like the biggest like internet like thing like everyone's got everything's kind of ninjas in it and everything's a zombie it's really weird like i i kind of hated the internet in the late 90s early 2000s do you guys, <laughs> well, do you guys like remember the- an eight do you guys remember an 80s franchise of ninja movies with like lee van cleef is like the the head ninja Am I making that up? I feel no, like no, you're not. I can't, I totally bl- am blanking on the name of it right now. But I the, used I to think... love I used to love that movie because it was like it was like all the ninja stereotypes where you know he's like got smoke bombs and you know he's using the, he's using the the ninja stars and all sorts of stuff. I was like, oh, this is what ninjas are about. Totally, <laughs> like, <I was laughs> so into it as a kid. You know what's funny though is that the amount of incompetence that they showed in the like like 99% of the ninjas were pretty awful. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it was just the, the like stars that were amazing. Everyone else was. It's like the stormtroopers, you know. Just just send an army of them to get destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's one really good one. But yeah, Three Ninjas was it was a big kids film, um, and uh, that was really kind of put John Turtletaub on the map, and Disney scooped him up and put him on this film. And you know, as we talked about on on our while you were sleeping episode. Check it out in the archives at reconsideration.com. The, you know, a lot of his movies are, they're light. They're, they're fluffy. They are um, a certain kind of form, you know, formula-based films. And, you know, I felt like on While You Were Sleeping, I really embraced that. <laughs> and uh, I was really okay with it for that film. For this one... I wasn't as okay with it, but I understand that those formulaic films have the, have their place, right? Like not everyone wants to, you know, a deep kind of head twist on, on every kind of movie that feels like so much of modern films right now is twist after twist after twist. And it's got to keep hooking you every, you know, with streaming, they've got to keep hooking you every, you know, 10 minutes or so, or you're going to lose interest in the movie and just move on. Mm -hmm. Back then was not really the case. It was, you know, you were in for the ride for the story. There was, there really was no internet distracting you. So, um, you know, I think, I think there's something to be said for formula, formula films still having a place and letting people, you know, not being so hard on people for, for <laughs> appreciating those kind of moves that, Movies that like, you know, some families, they're not going to sit through uh, a Christopher Nolan film, you know, right. um, like, you know, they're going to want these where they can just kind of sit down, watch, enjoy, go on the ride for the film. And that's it. Yeah, it's a it's a cute little film with, you know, and it's got something it's, it's definitely for the family because it's it's pretty disposable. Right. You can you'll, you don't have to come back to this. Uh it's got like it's a lot of cartoonish behavior, a lot of uh, physical humor and silliness, and then uh, and, and you know some okay jokes and stuff. Like, and it, it's really if on the surface level, it's very vanilla, but there is some charm with with each of the actors that mm -hmm. that kind of elevated a little. But it's uh, yeah, it's like it's uh, if you're not paying attention, it's it's surface level and and almost inoffensive. And in, in, if you don't know what you're looking at, like, right, I don't know anything about Jamaicans, right? Like, and then as a kid, they'd be like, ha ha, like I wouldn't, and I wouldn't. It's just like leaning into all the stereotypes and things that, like, like you wouldn't know that it's kind of like, no, this is like this is not doing Jamaica any service, any service. This isn't doing, like, this isn't not a good film. Uh, to be representative but like yeah. surface level fun silly movie that and it and it doesn't lean too heavily out of the fish out of water stuff like that's just part of it like the the big joke is ha 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 they're, they're from a warm climate this is this is great and that's it that just keeps recurring but it's not done like it's not done too harshly i think like it's i i don't know it doesn't play well, the... I, I to me it doesn't play it up too much yeah, I mean the intention behind it is certainly not to um shed these guys in a negative light, right? It yeah. it's it is. It's very like on the surface it's just 
you know, it, it is a bit of a fish out of water, but that's the obvious joke, right? That's that's yeah. just taking these guys, like you said, from from the hot climate, the warm climate, to you know, guys who have never even seen snow before suddenly have to uh, they're Olympi Olympian bobsledders. So, I was going to say, and you guys both touched on it. Like the thing that makes it kind of cringy now, you know, was not really a thing in '93 where there's this like blanket offensiveness of stereotyping right like i think the stereotyping of the jamaicans and stuff in retrospect is is you know by today's standards the thing that that kind of makes this feel a little a little out of place but oh, yeah. but in 93 like there were certain stereotypes you weren't supposed to to touch on but it wasn't all stereotypes yet there were there was right. still some there was still some leeway and 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 when you could stereotype and who you could stereotype yeah <laughs> there's leeway yeah i mean it in was 93 really... there was there no 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. yeah yeah i mean it, it didn't really start to becoming more of a conscious thing until for another probably 10 years or so before it really even started its kind of journey of political correctness and trying to you know be more realistic and and walk away from the stereotypes but this you know, we'll get into it now that the, the damage like that this movie caused in the long run for there's a lot of Jamaicans who have a big problem with this movie. It's kind of this split thing because um, it certainly shed a light on Jamaica, right, as a country, as people that uh, a lot of areas that don't get a lot of film that don't have a big film community really embrace any movie to come there and just show the landscape and show the environment and show the people and hire the crew and, and, you know, get these people involved in the film industry. You know, I would go to these film conferences where there's just, there's people from all over the place who are just desperate for a film community to start being built there. So there's an appreciation of that and just like show Jamaica on a big scale. That's cool. But then <laughs> The fallout from it is the creation, maybe not the the first iteration of it, but the real cementing of those stereotypes of the reggae and the hair and the accents and the silly characters that. Hey, man. Yeah, that. exactly. Like that over the long haul, there's a lot of Jamaicans who have a big problem with this film that yeah. everyone assumed that that's what everyone's like. It's this, you know, it's almost like creating exactly what they were. They're these Disney versions of characters that um, aren't real people. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's like, well, that's easy. What that's you, you, you need shortcuts, right. To create and, and like creating a whole identity out of just being Jamaican. Like that's not, that's not good enough. Like you can like, Hey, what are from Jamaica? And, and, and we are Jamaicans and we're going to do things to Jamaican way. But like, what does that mean? Like what? And then it, you know, it comes down to a catch more or less a catchphrase. Um, and it's again, for the uninitiated, they don't know what you're looking at. Like it's cute and it's easy. It's accessible. And then you don't really have to think about it anymore. So it's, you know, uh, but yeah, you're right. Long-term for, for what it represents for what for if that's someone's exposure to Jamaica especially as a child like uh if that's their only exposure and then you grow up thinking yeah. like this is what Jamaica's like I, and Jamaican people are like yeah like, to that point I think I think most of most of the youth in America's 
uh, exposure to to Jamaica was, you know, Sebastian the Crab from from uh, Little Mermaid. You know, like that yeah. was that was it. So they're like, oh, th- this these guys sound like Sebastian the Crab. And that's yeah. that's all. That's as far as it went. Which is which was kind of the mandate from like from I mean it's out there from Je- Jeffrey Katzenberg who is you know high up at Disney at the time. That oh, was Jeff. what they wanted. They, they they wanted a bunch of uh, Sebastians, uh, you know, on the team, and they, they sound exactly like that. And um, you know, I I don't actually put a lot of fault on John Turtletaub for this because there's been like this year or 2023, they, they had a reunion, a cast and, and Turtle Taub, you know, had a reunion at some convention, I think. And yeah, it was and the 30 year anniversary, all, right? Right. It was 30 year anniversary. And, and they all seemed, you know, good with each other. And we're all talking about how the accent was a big point of contention that, you know, how, the thickness of it, the uh, needing to be able to make sure people could literally understand what they were saying. Uh, it was a lot of back and forth with the studio over, over that on top of all the other stereotypes, but that was the one that they really battled over. Um, so, but I, I don't, you know, from John Turtletaub's point of view, it was it's his second movie. Really. It's his first like big movie that, um, a big studio film and you know, how hard is he going to, is he willing to fight at that point in his career? It's if, if he, if he stood his ground, he was just going to get fired and replaced. Same thing with the actors to a certain degree that if they were going to make it a thing, nobody was at that point in their career. And I think only John Turtletaub would probably go on to a point where they could fight with a studio and hold their ground and, not not sweat so much you know of being replaced and and turtle tab will go on to have a a long relationship with disney with the you know going all the way through the national treasure films so yep the kid um, national treasures bunch of stuff yeah but they they tried and i think at the expense of all of them getting replaced they they eventually just kind of gave disney the version that they wanted yeah Throw on some, throw on the most popular Bob Marley song, and uh, right, and just have that that sort of that undertone and uh, of that of that reggae music, and yeah, and like ever, don't worry, like just ch- chill out. It's Jamaica, everybody's just this is we take it easy, and like I find like the like I would love like the fictional these these four fictional characters. I'd love a little more on each of their backstories. Like I want to want, I want like 15 minutes on every one of them. To, and then you could really provide a contrast of how do these four different men if, in Jamaica live because they all live very different lives and they all have their own motivations, but you really only get like a piece. So like, it's not a big character movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the only one you get is like juniors, kind of backstory you know there's the struggle that he has with his father right like that's right. but that's as deep as it gets like that's the depth of his of it all yeah. and i don't really feel like we get anything like that from any of the others it's just that one character he's not no even you don't him. yeah you don't i think you get a little bit with with leon's character uh Darice, just yeah. a little bit but mm. um but and then the other guys it's the, the names like yule brinner and and sanka coffee like that I mean, just the names. It's like, oh, haha, that's funny. But like, right. 
so are you saying all Jamaican people just name they find American things funny, so they name their children after that? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I did that. I wasn't sure what to make of that. Like when we're like that. Wait, these are their names, like their actual names, or yeah. Or is it is it they're definitely there it's just the nicknames they go by forever I, we I don't really know. know i mean you know uh, yeah. yule brenner okay the joke is that he's bald right like yule brenner was bald but yeah. was he bald as a kid was that a you know i don't know that's yeah. you really uh, the point being that you don't get the, the enough of these characters to show them as real people it's very easy yeah. um you know john candy's character Irv Blitzer as the coach, like you get a backstory with him. You get emotional motivation. He's the only character that you really get a sense of depth with. Um, but the rest of these guys, you don't. It's just, you know, it's handed to handed to you and you're moving on. Yeah. That's uh I I but yeah, so like that, and I'll I'll give credit to all the actors that they they do like the 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 moments of drama between them and their camaraderie and friendship. I think they're really effective. Like, I think, I don't think they're half-assing it. I think they're, they're genuinely trying to put in like really great performances to, to like, make sure these characters remain likable. And I, and I'm sure the best intention of like, if we have to play Jamaicans and half the cat, half of them were Jamaican, but like, if we have to be like, let's do this as real, let's let these characters have moments of like realism to shine. Like these are they we're not cartoons. The, these characters aren't cartoons. One hundred percent of the movie, which is pretty pretty nice. But yeah, it's the best S- you could Sanka, manage. Sanka kind of is. Dougie Sanka. Doug is kind of a a cartoon the whole time. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would feel like. But I think Good. that's you know that's obviously on purpose. Like he is. That's yeah, his role. One hundred percent for comedy relief. Yeah, right. That's his role in the dynamic of the foursome or the fivesome. Um, yeah, true. He got I, one I do... scene, but that's it. Yeah, where he kind of stands up, and it's actually the one scene where, well, if we're talking about the same scene, uh, it's the one moment where, like, he actually stands up for, like, being Jamaican. It's actually said kind of out loud that, (laughs) you know, don't be, don't worry about the the Swiss or the Germans or whatever, like, be Jamaican and be yourself, and which is something that they're really not doing, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's kind of called out there. But I mean, that's his role in the dynamic of those those that group that I do think that they have. I agree. I think they have a good energy with each other for what, you know, the characters are trying to play. It's not the, the performances are certainly there. It's not um, for lack of their effort in creating these characters. Um, I think they all are likable, uh, but it's it's that again, it's that two side two sides of the street that you if, if you dig a little bit, you start to like dislike the entire package or yeah, you just accept it yeah yeah and then and i think john candy like like is a perfect is like perfect to join that group uh like to be with them because he, he gets to play a sort of the wise you know he's the wise character as the coach um what i what i was like kind of hoping for was that because his character lives in jamaica he'd have there would be like some level of understanding of like oh this guy who's now in jamaican culture and he, it's not really that he's just the he's just a bobsled coach he has his history he's separate from jamaica but i'm like oh, he, he, he's been living there like that's interesting like this white canadian dude or, or or this american dude whatever like living in jamaica like and we we understand why 
later but it's just sort of like oh he's and 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 i do they don't play up this like difference between like this white american versus character versus these jamaican characters and how they don't understand each other like they're just they're just people in it which is great like i like that because they, they they save that different stuff for like when you have the racist germans yeah <laughs> like, is it well, the germans or the swiss or the swedes the, is it germans uh, or yeah i thought it was swiss. swiss i keep i oh, kept yeah. getting confused if they were swiss or german or I thought they were. Isn't they, aren't they speaking German when they go "Eins, zwei, drei"? Dry, yeah, maybe but, maybe they are German. The, yeah. Do the Swiss? Maybe the Swiss have the same numbers. Um, but I guess, but it's a, it is a mask of them not even really being racist. It's just that you don't belong here. Jamaicans don't do bobsled. Like it's like right. girlfriend girls don't play bass guitar. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, so. Because like they, there's only mention of the fact that these Jamaicans are black. Like it was funny when John Candy said it in that scene. He's like, "What? What's the big? Well, what? It's it's yeah, it's a little strange. There's four black men in a in a bobsled or something. That's the joke. Or I forget what the, he sort of said. But like, so th- it's not like they keep pointing out all these differences to make it like a huge contrast. I just. Uh, I just like well, they, that John yeah. Candy's part of the group. I guess. Yeah, they 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 stay just on this side of keeping it about black and white culture, right? They really do keep it specific about like we're not talking about black people, but like the joke isn't black people on in the white snow, right? We're surrounded by white athletes. It's it is specifically like Jamaicans. They keep honing in on that. That yeah, it is. You know, they could have easily gotten that more clear by having other black actors just kind of amongst the other athletes, but they didn't, right. you know, that wasn't yeah. a thing. Um, no, but out, outside of Jamaica, there are no, I don't think no there's any people. other black people in the movie. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so there's, they're hovering right over that line that you, you could kind of argue it either way, but um, yeah. I think a lot of Jamaican people feel like, it is from from the research I was I was seeing that feel like it was specifically to them. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of it 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 others them right. It's an othering yeah. of of these Jamaicans. There's just this weird culture, or you know, or this strange culture we're not familiar with, and we're going to show them in a fun, lighthearted way, and so you can try to understand them a little bit. Uh, it's very making cartoons out of them it's yeah it's fat it's a fascinating look it's very 90s it's very and they're trying to do it without being like ray like racist or whatever but yeah they're, they're just that's what they did that's what these the studios did they 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 found things it's like you know it's like the mystical chinese person right like there's all like leaning into stereotypes that work for american audiences and you know What's we're just day? of yeah. the day and this um in the nine in the so in the mid 90s this is like this is the bread and butter of like a family film like this is this is working let's find something like, unique and interesting like lee van cleef playing a ninja <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then going along with that with with john candy here you have sort of you have the white savior complex that again is sort of being flirted with that you know without him this white coach they would never get there. They would never be, you know, what, you know, make it as far as they made it. I think the only thing I don't even that... think it's flirting. I think it's outright, you know, especially in the scene where he like confronts the Olympic committee, you know, I mean, like he is very much the reason they're allowed. I mean, he's also the reason they're 
being disqualified, but but he's the one that goes in and basically fights for them. Yeah. Oh, forgive me. I didn't realize the four black guys in a bobsled could make you blush. I think we've heard enough. Come on, Kurt. What you're doing is wrong, and you know it. Now, if this is about you and me, then let's get it straight right now. All right, 16 years ago, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I cheated. I was stupid. I embarrassed myself, my family, my teammates, my country, and my coach. If it's revenge you want, take it. Go ahead. Disqualify me, banish me. Do whatever you want, but do it to me. It was me who let you down, Kurt. It wasn't my guys. They've done everything you've asked of them, and they did it with all of you laughing in their face. Hell, it doesn't matter if they come in first or 50th. Those guys have earned the right to represent their country. They've earned the right to march into that stadium and wave their nation's flag. That's the single greatest honor an athlete could ever have. That's what the Olympics are about. 16 years ago, I forgot that. Don't you go and do the same. I think I think the only thing that keeps it just on this side of that is John Candy, is the audience's relationship with John Candy and their love for him as an actor that stops it just short of that, of, of crossing that line. That sure. if it were anybody else, I don't know. You know, they talked about like the Disney, of course, wanted our guy, Kurt Russell, for that role. Uh, which was, you know, has his long history with with Disney films, and he'd reappear in Miracle down the road. But um, I don't know, you know, with Kurt in that role, I think you would have crossed that line. I think with <laughs> Scott Glenn, who is another actor they wanted for that. First of all, I can't see Scott Glenn as that character, but <laughs> you would have also crossed that line. But because Candy has that, <clears throat> excuse me, lighthearted relationship with that goes, you know, back almost 15 years at this point that of, of, you know, maybe not all of his movies have done well. We'll talk about where he kind of was in his career, but I think people loved him. I don't think that ever really well, died. And it's also for, for the point of the story, it's also just as unbelievable that John Candy was an Olympic bobsled. Right. You know, right. Athlete, right. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like I could believe I could believe Kurt Russell and and John Glenn. Uh, who'd you say? Scott no, Glenn. Glenn. Scott Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to the moon. Um, <laughs> but Scott Glenn and, and Kurt Russell, I could believe that they were at one point, you know, on a bobsled team. I, yeah. The fact that John Candy was on a bobsled team is like its own punchline to a joke as well in there. Yeah. You know, that that'd be like. That'd be like me being on a bobsled team. Like my rotund ass ain't getting in a bobsled <laughs> ever at any point in my life. You know, like, like it's just not happening. So I think, yeah, I think, I think that's part of the, part of the gag. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, they, they, you know, showing his picture from what was it? 1972 that 20 years, <laughs> you know, that's a big difference. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and John, like, let's look at John Candy for a second. That 
you know, where is he in his career that he's, it, it seemed to me at, at this point in time, I was not watching John Candy movies anymore that I, you know, by after home alone, it seems like he wanted to do something different, that he was really trying to find his way. And you you see that a lot with, you know, comedians or comic actors uh, throughout their career that at a certain point, a lot of them just don't want to continue doing the light stuff, the comedies anymore. They want to show, they want to stretch their legs as actors. You know, Bill Murray went through it. Steve Martin went through it. John Belushi, had he lived, certainly would have gone through it. Dan Aykroyd has gone back and forth. Um, you know, it, it, and it seems like Candy, when he appeared in JFK and I think only the lonely and delirious were not movies that it was, it was trying to do something different. And, um, I mean, but delirious is still a comedy, right? Like delirious is still yeah. a comedy. Yeah. I but mean, it's the also only... like they're clicking less and less. Yeah. But I feel like, I mean, just looking at the stuff. I, I I haven't seen only the lonely, so I, I, I don't know about that one. Yeah, so I can't I speak to it. It's, but it's JFK kind of bizarre that one. JFK is the only thing that I see that really is like a true departure from from what Candy's kind of done in the past. You know, I mean, like I, I I mean I get what you're saying because like all actors, you know, all I, I feel like every comedian goes through that progression, right? Like they they get their you know, they make their name on comedy and then they try to progress to right. to kind of more meaningful, dramatic roles. Um, but I, I don't know with Candy, it was just JFK, you know, and I, I don't know. Well, if but that... this but his I would argue that his character in this is fairly serious. You know, he's not do the, he's not the comedy. He's the straight man here. But it's comedy, you know, like it, it's a comedy movie. You're right. His performance is more straight and dramatic. It it. it requires more you know uh of a of a straight play but but i still you know like other than jfk everything that i see on his credits is is comedy i think though with i would argue that with that and only the lonely being a different kind of film and his performance the way he he approached his performance and he had to fight to get this role by the way that they they really did not want him yeah um, they wanted they wanted kurt yeah. I'm sure they wanted Kurt first and foremost, right? Like right. long-standing right. Disney, you know, he is, you know, like that. He's a list at the time. I mean, John yeah. Candy's a list, but for different reasons. So but, I, but really like Candy's star had, had started to fall that as much as people still liked him, you know, you had in the, you know, you had the great outdoors and uncle buck, which were huge movies following that up. You've got, <laughs> Who's Harry Crumb, which was a disaster, and mm -hmm. Nothing But Trouble, which was, I think, Warner Brothers just letting Dan Aykroyd creatively run wild, which is something that probably should never be done. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. check the original concept for Ghostbusters and watch Nothing But Trouble. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't uh, know. Have you rewatched Nothing But Trouble? I've seen it like three times. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, or recently. <laughs> Uh, probably not within the last like three or four years, but fairly there's, recently. There's a whole like subculture of people that love that movie, which oh, that's you know, a it's another, movie, yeah. it's another, yeah, it's another cult movie. I have not gone back to rewatch it, but I do recall when it came out, like I didn't get it. And, and I, it was like weird for all, all of the people involved and in, involved in that. 
but so it was a miss. I think it hurt a lot of people's career. It did nothing but nothing but trouble. It was it um, was at at a point where everybody there, I mean everybody involved in that movie needed to keep the train moving of hits, mm-hmm. and that was a big big. Well, they side expected track. it. They expected it to be a pretty big deal. I mean, yeah. they had you know a, a bunch of name talent in there. I mean, you you bring up Harry Crumb. I I liked Harry Crumb as a kid. Like it's goofy. It's it's whatever. I, I did too. And I thought I would still like it. I wanted to cover it here for the show. And I, right, David, we went back and forth and I uh, watched it either last year or, or, you know, two years ago. And it's, it's not good. Um, Yeah. I bet it doesn't hold up, but uncle buck came out that same year. And like, I, I really like that movie. I think, I think it's one of his stronger ones. Yeah. I think it's his last real hit film. Not to, separately from put cool running aside from, for a second. Well, and Home Alone. I mean, Home Alone came. Home later, Alone's not a John Candy. Sm- yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. He's small part. Yeah, he's got. I mean, his role in Home Alone is great. <laughs> like, it's a great part of the film. It's as much a John Candy movie as 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 Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Let's put it that way. Oh, you. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna confuse the audience. Oh you're boy, confuse the audience. With that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But but yeah, that's sort of it feels like that's the end of the, you know, successive hits is is Uncle Buck. And then ever and then it's kind of a rocky road after that. Yeah, he gets, you know, it's it, the it's bit parts, you know, like yeah. it, it's definitely winding down. Like he's not the lead guy. I don't I don't know that he was ever really a true lead guy, was, but he was, I think, at his best when paired with someone, whether it's Eugene Levy or Dan Aykroyd in Great Outdoors or Tom Hanks you know, and Splash and Volunteers and Volunteers. volunteers. Yeah, he needs um, to play off. He needs to play off someone as strong as him, really. Like and and like he he needs he can't be the sole lead. Like you know, like yeah. There's just something about it. Although I, because it's it is it's a, he just needs a good partner to work with, and then I think you have a hit like. But him to be the the main character is is kind of tough because he's and I can see that that's why you'd want to make that career transition to more dramatic roles or or just something different rather than like just straight out out and out comedy. Imagine you know I just like to to imagine a future with John Candy in it. Wish we had had that, but yeah, I would I would just I'm, I'm this is just a complete guess on my part, but. When Tarantino got big, I could see Tarantino embracing a guy like John Candy and, you know, him popping up in those movies and have like Travolta have and Bruce Willis have entire second life to his career. Well, he has that same like career arc, right, where it's like he was kind of a popular for a thing and then started to kind of, you know, that popularity started to dwindle and he got smaller parts but was recognizable and lovable in the parts that he got i mean rookie of the year was you know he was the announcer he's great in that you know like the bit parts that he got he was good in and yeah i think someone like maybe not tarantino but someone like a tarantino or at least during that movement uh that tarantino started of bringing like those old older popular actors back and putting them in lead roles and giving them that second kind of career life in their career he ter- perfectly fits that sort of that sort of formula hmm. and it would be great because you know i mean 
in retrospect, not having more candy now, you know, it's, you miss, you miss, you miss him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I miss, absolutely. I miss John Candy. Yeah. I, I, 100%. John Candy, Phil Hartman, like those are guys that there was so much ahead of them um, as they got into that next phase of their career. Could have been amazing. Chris Farley's another one. I mean, there's the list is really long. Yeah. I mean, Robin yeah. Williams is one more recent. I guess not that recent. I'm old, but I well, mean, he, yeah, he that, had that. He had little... that. He had that. But I feel like there was more for him to give. Robin, Robin had a, a long career, much longer than those guys, and had that success on both sides, dr- dramatic and comedy. Yeah. That he, you know, he had a, a bunch of wins on both sides of it. So, um, yeah, Belushi's another one too, but uh, mm-hmm. famous case of it. So I don't know, you know, I think he showed, he just, John Candy showed that he could do it. I think, I, I think he showed here that he could nail those dramatic moments. And especially going back to another film we covered in the, you can check it out in the archives, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Looking back at that movie now, I think that movie stock has risen so much more over time as maybe John Hughes's best film really over, over the teen stuff that, that ages so poorly. Yeah, and a lot it, of that's it's aged the best for sure. Yeah. And, but, but it's that, you know, his, his turn at the end of that film. And when things you come together and you realize what's really going on with that character, that that's such a gut wrenching moment and your heart just, you know, aches for that guy. And yeah. that's not an easy performance. No, so, not at all. I mean, that, that, I mean, it's, it shows that he has the chops to, to be dramatic. But I mean, that whole movie is pretty genius. I mean, just kind of the odd couple pairing of Steve Martin and John Candy, you know, yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys talked, talked about it a bunch in the, in the, in the show, but yeah, it's, uh, that one's great. Yeah. I almost want to go back and like do a 2.0 for plane trains and automobiles. Cause I think my like passion for that movie since we covered it has actually grown more and more. So if there's ever a if there's ever a movie we revisit that we've already covered, that one would be it. Plus, Brent, you weren't on that episode, so I was not. We can recon reconsider me. <laughs> recon recon recon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I appreciate his his performance here, um, but we it does like we were saying earlier walk that line of the white savior complex. So yeah. I don't. What what could you have done, you know, done differently to make this more appropriate? And, and I think it's not that difficult is get some Jamaican people involved creatively in this film as advisors, as whatever of like, OK, culturally, like we would not do this. This is how, you know, this scene looks here. Uh, yeah, really, cast... really dive into Jamaican culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like make yeah. that the the a true star of the the movie you know right i mean the first third of the movie is all shot in jamaica yeah that was crazy i didn't realize that it was only shot in jamaica and calgary like i I was the jamaican shots i was like where do they shoot this in california like what (laughs) but uh yeah i mean absolutely they could dive further into that i mean that's that right there is is the answer to to how you do it yeah i mean it feels like it's a bunch of white white guys, you know, and I, I know Don Steele was the producer who's a kind of a legendary a figure. Um, 
but I don't know if she was as creatively involved more as just, you know, keeping the ship moving and budgetarily, but, uh, you know, they're a bunch of white people's views of what Jamaican culture is, which you're, you're never going to get that right. So, you know, get some people involved and the, I, I really do enjoy this cast. Um, especially, you know, Dougie Doug really bounced, uh, off of this movie <laughs> to for springboarding the rest of his career really. But, uh, man, he's a know, goof. Yeah, and, and I would say I actually like, still liked him in this movie quite a bit. I was like, this oh, yeah. character would typically annoy the hell out of me, but I I was like something about him in it's this quite charming, right? Like I mean, just yeah. so, like it's totally rambunctious and full of energy, but but very charming. He's the heart of the group. Yeah, 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 and he's also. Uh, he and Raul D. Lewis uh, were, were the only somewhat Jamaican people. You know, uh, Dougie Doug is not fully Jamaican, but his father's Jamaican. So he had experience, some experience culturally and knew for sure, like what was not accurate. But again, it was it was an uphill battle. Uh, Raul D. Lewis was hired, actually hired as the dialect coach and wasn't supposed to, he was there for the table read and was to help the actors. And I think at the last minute, he kind of slid it. They just put him into that role. So, uh, but Leon and Malik Yoba, not Jamaican at all, you know, really had to work on that accent. And uh, Leon, I think at this point, I mean, he was in a bunch of stuff. Like he was coming off of all the right moves and colors and the five heartbeats. He's in Cliffhanger. So a couple of those movies we have in the archives. But he's also in Madonna's Like a Prayer video. Mm-hmm. So I think for, for our age group, that's probably where the first place we would have caught him. Yeah, there was always something familiar about Leon, uh, <laughs> but I didn't realize where I'd seen him. Yeah, I love his death scene in Cliffhanger, too. Like, uh, I think that <laughs> not that he, he died, but I was like, it was a good fight between him and Sly. Like, yeah. and then. And I was like, oh, it was a really creative death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, he's, he's, he's a man. really he's... good actor. Absolutely. And he showed a lot of range in all those those varied kind of films. Malik Yoba, I think this is his first film, but he'd go on to some TV success with TV un- or with uh, New York Undercover. And then we'd see him in Copland. I think mm-hmm. from what I heard, like he was real good buddies with Robert De Niro and De Niro kind of got him onto things later on in his career. Uh, but they wanted uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. They didn't want, I'm sorry, Cuba Gooding Jr., Eric LaSalle, Jeffrey Wright, all were considered for uh, some of these roles and, and did not did not get it. It would have been interesting to, had any of them been cast, you know, uh, how it would have fared out. Jeffrey Wright is interesting because I, I don't know that I know much about Jeffrey Wright before Basquiat. Me too. Was he? I mean, I, I suppose he was around. Mm. I just he was definitely around. But Basquiat's the movie that sort of put him on the map, and then oh yeah, definitely doing... at least at least my map. I, I was like, oh, right. this dude's great. Yeah. yeah, Basquiat was where where I first saw of him, and then he had such a great like indie career before he started doing bigger and bigger films, and obviously all the way to like the James Bond franchise and. And I think uh, American Fiction, his most recent film, was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, 
But yeah, none of those actors were actually cast. Eric LaSalle would have been right before ER. Mm. So, which was probably a, a better move for him. That was that. I mean, his career launched really off of that. Right. I could see Cuba uh, in this. He seems Disney centric. I don't yeah. know if it's radio and things like that, but he, yeah, I think he could have, he could have worked. Guy. Yeah. He could have worked in this though. I think is Cuba what's, co- Cuba what's controversial? controversial about. Yeah. I was going to say what's controversial about Cuba. Uh, is like, you know, inappropriateness with women, alcohol oh. abuse. Like he's been on trial for the last couple of years for a bunch of shit. Oh, oh, damn. I have, I, I have <laughs> not seen the press yeah. on that. Yeah. His team is very good at keeping that shit out. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, attention. that's why you haven't seen him in really anything since um, the American crime story, the OJ thing oh, wow. that he's he's been like in a bunch of trouble. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. It. So, yeah, we keep going like like the obviously solid cast. It's, you know, it's. It's this just very easily accessible, like, like vanilla kind of family movie that, like you said, it's, it's, it is damaging. And I can, uh, to the Jamaican sort of, to the country of Jamaica, I can see why. And based on like what the research of like what people have been saying publicly about like what this movie sort of doesn't serve the interest of, of Jamaicans and Jamaican culture, it's like, and we can sit here and we and we always do this like oh they like i said earlier like oh i'd love to see 15 more minutes of each of their backstories and stuff but like so like i don't know what is the better version of this movie other than i i would insist that you would need jamaican creatives uh, in charge of this versus you know whatever whatever studio notes and whatever non-jamaican writers might be involved it's like yeah, they should redo this movie and they could even do it a family film, but just find that authenticity. Like do do the story of these guys again. Um and maybe and maybe I don't know, I don't know, maybe the the original team, maybe they're not necessarily sympathetic like human beings or something like that. Maybe that's why it's avoided or I, I don't know much about them. Um I, I, or, I think at the time, uh, you know, it was the the mandate from from the studio was just like this is what we're doing. Let's not focus on this. Let's focus on the light characters and the comedy and that's what we're and yeah. through that was born <laughs> the stereotype. So Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I can point I I I'm aware as a, an adult in 2023 like this is a problematic movie in some ways. Um but I don't know how to fix it, but I would be I'd be open to seeing it done correctly <laughs> from a Jamaican perspective. Yeah. And and when we say that, we're not saying that the movie can't be a family film. Like you can still do it. Just, just show it, you know, show the true culture there. And, and I think you only get that by involving um, Jamaica, you know, some kind of Jamaican representative creatively in the film that they don't have to necessarily write the script, but they've got to sit down with the writer or with the director being like, no, this is not, this is not how it is. We don't have names like Sanka Coffee and Yule Brenner. Like, <laughs> yeah. these are traditional Jamaican names. Here's a handful of them. Here's, you know, the clothes that they wear, the market women that we don't just see the stereotypical, you know, uh, that scene. So, mm-hmm. I think it's all you would really need to do, um, and pay a little more attention to what do Jamaican people actually sound like, yeah, instead of the act. The accents 
do they do do they when they have to look inward and get inspired do they all do all jamaicans just suddenly start singing and smiling and dancing and rhyming like you know right. that was their that was how they got jamaican was like feel that, the rhythm right feel yeah. the rhythm right like feel the rhythm feel the rhyme get on up it's pamphlet time cool we, again a cute little shortcut for the audience but it's like that could actually be genuine in some ways but uh, it's it's too it's it too much paints them into a corner as a, as a cartoon so so let me ask do you think audiences of today would enjoy this movie like if you had if you made people watch it <laughs> i think they people would have an okay time with it but i don't know i don't think they i don't know i mean i think kids would still like it you know i yeah. mean this it just depends on what lessons you're trying to teach your kids, I guess. Yeah, I I think, yeah, same thing. I think younger crowd probably still like it. I think anything over, anyone over a teenager would probably see the flaws. And I think audiences are much more accepting of what's culturally appropriate and what isn't. So, yeah. and it's also a very, you know, it's a very easy movie. Like many Disney films are, it's very straightforward and, and uh not emotionally complicated so um i think yeah kids would probably be okay would feel okay about it but anyone over a teenager would uh kind of see through it yeah yeah gen z wouldn't like this movie right <laughs> <laughs> uh, did right. you guys see pop culturally just gen z they they figured out a way to get to get at us now cuz now when they say like if something happened in the 90s or was written or the 80s or 90s, they start saying the late 1900s. <laughs> I no. keep seeing it pop up more and more online. It's just like, like kids, like students asking their teachers, like, I read this thing in the late from the late 1990s, and it would be something from like 98. And I'm like, oh my God. Ooh, that's just, that is just, that is, I didn't anticipate that. I mean, that is that just hurts. brilliant, brilliant, destructive language. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> ouch <laughs> oh that that hurts that's a low blow so yeah that's uh so be expect expect to hear that when when that, that it's going to be just a, a a cut at you for being super old right <laughs> <laughs> it's like boomer the phrase boomer yeah 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 it's our boomer <laughs> that's true all right should we take a look at uh how cool runnings fared at the box office with the little box office glory Sure. Run the receipts. Cool Runnings was shot in February and March 1993 in both Jamaica and Calgary, so the real actual locations. It had a $17 million budget. It opened up October 1st, 1993 at number three. Hey. Number three uh, was opening up against Malice for uh, for Lover Money and a Bronx Tale. Jeez, mm. interesting October films, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it landed right between The Good Son and The Program. So Good oh. Son at number two, I think, in maybe its second week, and The Program at number uh, number four. Mm. Opening week, it brought in seven million dollars. It had a total of sixty-eight point eight million dollar uh, domestic run. Another eighty-six million dollars internationally for a total of one hundred and fifty-five million. So, 
that's a pretty pretty big hit. Yeah, that's good money. Yeah, that's a massive hit, I would say, yeah. on a seventeen million dollar budget. Good yeah, job. And and John Candy, you know, pushed hard for this movie. He pushed hard for the role, but always, you know, a lot of the cast talked about how much he believed in it and was really like pushing this story. I, I, you know, it seems like he, he knew, he knew it was going to work if it, if it came together, at least at the time, I who knows how he'd feel about it now, but uh, yeah, it was, and it was ended up being his last, it's the final film that was released while he was alive and his last real hit. Mm-hmm. It uh, ended up at number 16 of 1993, right between grumpy old men and Dave. So Mr. Candy could not take down Mr. Mr.'s Lemon and Math out. But he came close. A hard, <laughs> that's a hard duo, duo to take down. It that's is, true. yeah. Comedy legends. Uh, again, grumpy old men. Check it out in the archives at reconsideration.com. We have not covered Dave yet, though. Uh, top of the box office in 93, Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire, and The Fugitive. Ooh. I haven't I haven't heard of those. Yeah, never. The fugitive would be kind of fun to cover. We should let's add that to the list. Man, I remember the hype around that movie. It was crazy. It's it's a huge movie that nobody talks about anymore. Nobody. Even though there were sequels, at least one sequel. There's one sequel. There was a you know a, a, a show that came out in the 2000s, but um, not a, a film right. that people are talking about for how big it was, it was. It was the movie everybody got when they purchased their first DVD player. <laughs> that or Sphere or <laughs> that that handful of Warner Brothers movies. Lethal Batman, Weapon, Color 4. Purple, yeah, <laughs> Raging Bull, yeah. <laughs> Uh, those are the days, but, um, and you know, on top of its really massively successful theatrical run, it, it got even more popular on video and on cable. I remember it ran on the Disney channel, like all the time. Hmm. So it was, this was a movie that was everywhere. And that was also part of probably why I didn't want to watch it <laughs> that like, the more a movie got shoved down my my throat that really wasn't in my um like Jurassic Park, I was fine with Batman, fine with. But a movie like this, it was just not like a family film. You were too cool. No. You were too cool for the cool runnings. <laughs> too cool. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean it had it had legs there. I think over time it's a movie that's kind of disappeared. It is interesting that for all these things that Disney brings back and, you know, makes new sequels of or, or turns into a series that there never was a cool runnings two or a cool, you know, an, a, a, any kind of other version or remake of it. Hmm. Yeah. We talked about in our cutting oh. edge podcast that there were, you know, three sequels to that movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> but nothing for cool runnings. Hmm. Hmm. It's out of respect to John Candy. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't be. know. But uh, you know, could you could you have a version where like Dougie Doug was the coach? To, you know, a, a, a twenty years later, or an, I don't know, maybe. But maybe. I could probably be down. not. Yeah, probably, <laughs> maybe for all the reasons we listed here, it's it's yeah. it's uh, why they kind of stayed away from this one. Yeah, may as well just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. 
Brent, I think it's time we come back to our six degrees of reconsideration. David, you wanted us to connect Cool Runnings to Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, what do you got? I got, I got, I got to go first. I got because John will say it, and then everybody will be like, "Oh, Brent's just copying John because of <laughs> whatever." So I'm, I'm going first, John. Sorry, I figured this out all on my own. Uh, after quickly looking at the cast of Robin Hood Men and Thites, it was very easy to figure out that both John Candy and Richard Lewis were in I... Wagons East together. And Ooh. there you go. Boom. I forgot about that. Dang. Okay. I knew it was a, a big cast. So I was like, well, there's enough, there's enough entry points, but I was like, I don't think anyone was in a movie with him. Fool. Yeah. I'm a fool. I got, I have a, I, that's great, Brent. I did not pick that route but i have another one move connection nice john candy co-starred with and was directed by mel brooks in Spaceballs. Mm. oh Facts. right i forgot and i forgot we're doing yeah well mel brooks shows up in his all zone movies too so. he does yeah so so it does. Doesn't matter. all right fair so enough boom of, oh god he's easy one. to go all right. Um, well, you know, th- I think that's cool runnings. Uh, we, we said what we feel about it. It's um, it doesn't always feel good to kind of like chop down a, a movie, especially a family movie like this, that, that there are a lot of people who still do love this movie. I mean, I if, if anyone listens to Unspooled with Paul Shear, uh, they covered cool runnings and love the movie. Absolutely love it. It's, it's interesting on that show what movies they tear down for what reasons and some they just totally look past it so um barely even mentioned the cultural appropriation but that's that's an angle that we felt like we couldn't avoid yeah we're but, we're we're a little we're too attuned to these kinds of things you know yeah. <laughs> so but but like did you not have a good time watching it though i mean it I was did. still like it was still pretty like it was still an okay time right like you had a fun i had fun i liked it. when it, like, when you put that stuff aside you can have a good time with it but it's really hard to, it was hard for me to it's hard for yeah. me to look past it no 100 percent. yeah i get it um well We've got an exciting lineup this March. Uh, we've got a certain someone who we may have mentioned on this episode. Their birthday's coming up, so we always come back to cover one of their films. Plus, baseball season's right around the corner. Believe it or not, it's almost here. So we've got a special film that we're going to look at that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So uh, stay tuned for an exciting month of March. Anything else, guys? Any Anything you want to wrap up with? I'm okay. good. All right. Well, uh, check out our archives at reconcinimation.com. Hit us up on social media. We're at Re- Reconcinimation Podcast. Uh, and while you're at it, give us a give us a rating and a review. Um, it always helps the show, and we appreciate it. So thank you to our friends, E.K. Wimmer for the theme music, Curtis Moore for the poster, like usual. And with that, we will see you next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Cowabunga.
Some people say, you know, them can't believe. Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. We have yes. the Wanderers. I know one junior. You, Sanka. The fastest of the fastest of Jamaican sprinters.